Thanks for tuning into the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Michael Lockstamfer, and I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you today. Um, today is episode three of our Break the Dawn series, but we're going to be talking about John 17 today instead of John 16. Somehow the file for the sermon on John 16 got corrupted, and I just haven't been able to restore it. So I apologize for the, uh, the error there. Nevertheless, chapter 17 of John is absolutely fascinating. It contains a written record of an absolutely unique prayer. And I won't give too much away, but I'm going to keep our announcements short today so we can get straight into the Bible. I want to invite you real quick to sign up for our weekly email newsletter called the Grace Church Gazette. It's delivered to your inbox every Friday at 5 p.m. and it'll keep you up to date with the latest news and events at Grace Church. Just go to ocalagrace.org newsletter to subscribe. Now, as we dig in together to John chapter 17, let me mention that for the Kid Nation address, that time of our gathering where I try to condense the whole sermon down into two or three minutes for the children to understand, I called the kids up and gave one of them, named Max, a whole bag of Dum Dum lollipops. I didn't give him any instructions, and he opened the bag and gave one to all the other kids and kept the rest of the bag for himself. Then I handed Max another whole bag of Dum Dums. He gave the opened bag to the other kids and let them divide them up evenly. But then I handed Max another whole bag of Dum Dums. The kids passed out lollipops to everyone present. And then I explained this to them. Okay, here's the thing. God the Father gave Jesus a ton of really, really cool gifts and a ton of really cool, we could even call it candy. Okay? So God loads up Jesus with a bunch of really cool stuff. And then Jesus chose to give it to all of the people that followed him. He gave, it, he gave everybody some. He gave everybody as much as they could handle. Some people could handle a lot more than others. <laughs> but he, he gave it out. And what that showed people was, was that the gifts that Jesus had came from the Father. And so by Jesus being generous, or by God being generous to Jesus, and Jesus being generous to other people, and other people choosing to be generous to Jesus, and Jesus being choos- choosing to be generous back to the Father, because He takes all these people and gives them back to the Father. Everybody feels loved. Who feels loved with a lollipop in their mouth? Yeah, we do. And everybody, this, is the, this is probably the best kid nation ever, because the adults got candy too, right? Yeah, there we go. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is that, that relationships, deep relationships, especially the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is based on something that I'm going to call mutual generosity. You're generous with me, I'm generous with you, and everybody has a good relationship, right? Hey, I'm not sure if you guys have noticed, um, we live in a broadcast culture. Um, who checked Facebook this morning? I did. Um, I checked Twitter too, and also Instagram. <laughs> I have all those, yeah. <laughs> uh, too much. We live in a culture where people are always broadcasting. And everything that they say is filtered through this idea of everybody's going to hear this. 
And people make mistakes when they don't think through that. They're like, oh, no, this is private. And then it gets broadcast, and it's like, oh, well, that was uncomfortable. Um, but we live in a culture that's, that's broadcast. Everybody always is talking to everybody else as loud as they possibly can. And that is a new innovation for a modern age. But aren't there still private conversations? Occasionally. Yeah, there are. Um, let, let me imagine with me that you're taking a tour, uh, maybe through the White House, maybe through the, the British Prime Minister's house, which has a specific address. I just can't think of what it is off the top of my head. Um, you're somewhere, yeah, you're somewhere walking through some world, world leader's house. You're given a tour, and uh, you're supposed to, like, you know, go and meet whoever it is. And they're like, oh, wait, it's going to take a few minutes. They're on the phone. So you're waiting in the hallway. And there's a phone sitting there on the table. What do you do? Right, exactly. See, y'all won't remember this, but there was a time when all of the phone lines in a house connected to the same line. And so if you see a phone there and you picked it up, even if somebody in the house somewhere else was on a phone, you would hear the conversation. So imagine you as a normal person with your normal person concerns and your normal person life and your normal person focuses, picks up the phone and overhears a conversation between two world leaders. Do you know, one, who they're talking about? No. Do you know what they're talking about? No. Do you understand the context of the situation? Man, we got Pentecostal. <laughs> we let good nations stay, and they're responsive. Yes. <laughs> no, we would pick up the phone, and we could listen in, and we could kind of pick up a little bit of what's going on, but the, the, big, the details of what's happening, because we come from maybe, maybe a simpler life. Maybe one where we don't have to be concerned about nuclear arms and who's got the codes and what that guy over there is planning to do and what those people are actually ignoring and trying to keep under the carpet. We don't know. And we could listen to the conversation and maybe we could understand the words that were being said, the vocabulary, but we couldn't understand how everything fit together because that's not our world. So this morning, our challenge is that we're eavesdropping on God. We've been walking through the, the, the book of John, and Jesus has been talking to his disciples. And, and now he turns, and he picks up the phone, and Jesus is talking to the Father. And we in the hallway have been given the opportunity to pick up the line and listen in to what's happening. And it's disorienting, because it's like eavesdropping on world leaders. We don't have the breadth of the scope of understanding, and it's really, really hard. It's really hard. I thought last week was hard until I was going through this week. And as we go through, it's going to be tempting to latch on to the vocabulary that we understand. We want to, we want to take, okay, I can understand this idea of love, and that must be what they're talking about. Or I can understand this idea of peace, and that must be what they're talking about. Or I can understand this idea of unity. And that must be what they're talking about. We just got to gotta, you know, lock arms and be unified. We, our, our temptation as we go through this is to grab onto the vocabulary we understand. But I'm afraid that we might miss what's happening here. 
we're going to we're going to we're going to come to understand by the end of this that deep relationships are modeled on God's own mutual generosity. But it's not going to be evident up front. So I'm going to I'm going to go through this chapter in a different manner than I have before. That's been my habit, and so I just am going to explain to you what we're going to do. So deep relationships are modeled on God's own mutual generosity. We're going to ask three questions this morning. What's Jesus ask for? What does Jesus get? And why is this prayer so difficult? And it's going to feel like I'm running through what does Jesus ask for? But that's because we have to understand why it's so difficult for us to get what's happening. So if you'd open up your Bibles to John chapter 17, it's on page 748 if you're using the Story Bible, 748. And if you need one, I can give you one. Looks like you guys are taken care of. You got it, Cam. John chapter 17. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 to begin with. When Jesus had spoken these words, hold on, let me pause. What words do we remember? How did Jesus end last week? He's talking to his disciples. The last time he talks to them, what does he say? He closes by saying, take heart. I have overcome the world. I've got it taken care of. It's going to be scary. It's going to be messy. I've got it taken care of. Trust me. When he had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He picked up the phone and said, Father, and dialed God. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him all authority, or you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. These first five verses, Jesus is, is, is describing God in the world. It's, it's, it's a panned out what happened, what's going on. Um, and Jesus asks for glory based upon the completion of his mission. The f- first question for me that comes to mind is, what is, what is glory? And it's one, of those, it's one of those terms that's really, really hard to nail down. And the best thing that I can do to help us understand what glory is, is to take you into Isaiah chapter 6 very briefly where Isaiah is transported to see a vision of the throne room, to sit at the feet of God and see what is happening in heaven. And there are angels, and they know God, and they see God. Every single day they wake up and God is there, and they see him, and there's no question about who he is or what he is. And so they say the defining characteristic of God is you are holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holiness is God's defining characteristic to the angels who know him. They say, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with your holiness? No. They say, the whole earth is filled with your glory. Holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with your glory. 
So the glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness when we see it. The glory of God is us understanding who God is. Jesus says, give me glory. (laughs) Help people to understand who I am and what I've done. And them coming to understand that will be glory. Jesus says, Father, glorify me. Because I did what you sent me to do. I've done what you sent me to do with what you gave me to do it. What did God, the Father, give to Jesus? He gave him authority over all flesh. You've given me authority over everything, i.e., I created all this. It all belongs to me. You've given it to me. And now I've come here and completed my mission. I've declared who you are. I've glorified you on earth. I've made disciples. And I've committed myself to follow through with the end. We know the crucifixion is coming. But I think, he has, I think at this point, he's purposed in his heart. In the same way that Abraham lifted the knife to sacrifice Isaac and God said, stop, your faith, like, you're good. I think Jesus in the same way is saying, I can't go back now. I've committed to doing this. I've made disciples and I'm committed to finishing to the end. Glorify your son. Give me glory that your son may glorify you. Give me glory that I can give some glory back to you. Help people to understand who I am in the world and respond to that so that I can help people understand who you are in the world and respond to that. So now, now do we get the metaphor now of standing in the hallway going, uh... <laughs> These are big ideas. This is... Uh, it's incredible to try and wrap your mind around it. And what's fortunate is he starts to talk in a little bit more familiar terms for us. He prays for his disciples in verses 6 through 19. Let's read that together. John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now that they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given to me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. 
your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus asked the Father for glory in the world, and he asks that the Father would preserve his disciples, keep them, guard them, keep them safe. It's like a, like a football outside. You know, when you're trying to keep the football away, you guard it, you protect it. You don't hold it up here because you don't want Riley to snatch it from you, right? Yeah, he can jump real high. So when you've got the football, you guard it, you keep it safe. So Jesus is saying, hey, my disciples are important to me, God. You keep them. You guard them. You protect them from the evil one. Not to say that you're the evil one, Riley, but it's the metaphor. Keep them and preserve them. Let them continue in unity. Keep them together. Don't let them tear each other apart. And here's, here's where we have to pause and think about what's happened. Jesus has spent all of this time talking with his disciples, preparing them, I'm getting ready to leave. And they're walking along, and now he starts to pray. Now we already know from our reading in Matthew that Jesus doesn't pray so that people can hear him. This doesn't happen. In fact, you can look through all of the New Testament, and anytime you hear a prayer from Jesus, it's this long. Very, very short. This is the only extended prayer that we have of Jesus. So Jesus, in his teaching, pauses and prays to the Father, knowing that the disciples can hear this. Knowing that they're not going to get everything that's going on. But why? Why is he asking these things of God? Now, what does he say in verse 11? Verse 13, excuse me. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. Why? That they may have my joy in themselves. He said... He said so much in this last night. But one of the things he said is, disciples, guys, it's, this is going to blow your mind. They're going to take me and kill me. I'm going to die, and that is going to wreck your life. But I'm not going to leave you abandoned as orphans. He's saying, I'm not going to abandon you, and they're going to kill me in the same breath. How can, how can Jesus, who cares for these men, who, whose heart breaks for them, like how does he comfort them? If you know somebody's going away and you know it's going to be terrible the next couple of days, would it be encouraging to you to know that that person is praying for you? Would it be strengthening to you to know that your teacher, who's already turned your life upside down, and now he's getting ready to do it again with his departure. He's saying, hey, God, take care of these guys. For your protection, for your unity, and for your joy. It's not, this isn't survival mode. It's going to feel like survival mode for a minute. 
You're going to feel like you're that, uh, that antelope that's running across the field and there's a cheetah coming behind you and you just put everything you can just to survive. But he's saying that you're gonna, this is for your joy. Be preserved, be protected, be guarded, be unified together, stick together in this, but you're also going to have joy. And, he's, and he prays for their sanctification. Sanctification is, is, is kind of just a fancy word for being set apart. Be cleansed for a specific use. Your toothbrush is sanctified for your mouth. It is set apart. The toothbrush, the toothbrush in the cleaning bin that you scrub the floors with, not sanctified. That, that is sanctified. Yeah, that's a sanctified for a different mess. But your toothbrush in the cup is sanctified for your mouth. It's set apart for your mouth. So Jesus is praying, God, sanctify these guys. Set them apart. Set them apart in what? In truth. Not in good feelings. In truth. Not in alternative truths. In truth. There is truth. Jesus says it. There is fundamental things that have happened and they occurred and they are facts that exist in the world, believe it or not. He says, sanctify them in truth. And then he clarifies it. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You get, okay, Jesus is saying, Father, you gave me your word. I gave it to them. I'm leaving now. Sanctify them in your word, which is true. Set them apart in that. Help them to understand. Help them to walk in it. This is what they're going to need to shift out of that survival mode that's getting ready to hit into the joy. And this is challenging. Because I don't know about you, but there's lots of times where I come to the Bible and, and I don't feel that joy. It's like, ah, oh, I'm messing up again. <laughs> I'm not doing this right. But this is his prayer for his disciples. The next section, verses 20 through 26, let's read together. Jesus prays for the church. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly, may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known to them that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. 
So verse 20, I do not ask for these also, but for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus goes from praying for these 11 men who he's walked with for these last three years, who he's led, saying, I'm not just praying for these guys. I'm praying for the people that will believe in me because of the work that God's going to do through them. This is one of the very, 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 very few times where you and I are mentioned in the Bible. I'm not... And what's incredible, what blows my mind, is this, this isn't just like a passing theological reference to this. This is Jesus, the heart of Jesus, saying, I pray for those people. Jesus prayed for us. The people who would wrestle with who God is because of the work that God does through these 11 men in the next years. And here's the hard part of this. This isn't the prayer that we want Jesus to pray for us. We want Jesus to pray the protection prayer and the joy prayer for us. We want Jesus to give us the happy prayer that, God, that everything goes well. And we don't have to worry about anything. But we're reminded that Jesus prayed for his disciples. I'm not taking them out of the world. I'm leaving them here. And they're going to do the work that you asked me to. Because when he prays for us, he prays for unity. And when the Bible says that you're going to need to work on something, the implication is that this is what you're going to do wrong naturally. What I mean is, if God says, be unified, then what we can understand is that naturally, left to ourselves, we won't be. And this unity goes beyond church government. There are lots of... Um, I don't super want to get into it, but there's, there's a lot of organizations who will come to these verses and say, we are exemplifying this truth because we've kind of abandoned everything, all the, all the distinctives that make us anything worth following, but we're the church and we're unified. We're all together in the same thing. Um, it's not about church government. It's more than that. Because, and my reason for saying that is this. He says, that they may be one as you and I are one, Father. And this is where we just can't get it. Whatever you say about Jesus, you have to say about the Father. Whatever you say about the Father, you have to also say about Jesus. There's one God in three persons that we can dig and try and explain and spill ink and spill blood and try to get this truth, and it doesn't make sense. The only way that God can be love is for there to be internal relationships in himself, which I even feel like I'm speaking heresy by trying to explain it. This is a truth beyond our vocabulary. This is a truth beyond our understanding. But it's something that's inherent to us. How do we know that us being created in God's image, this is something that's inherent to us? That we were created for relationships. And how do we know that? Because in Genesis 2... When God created Adam, one guy, 
even before sin, even before everything got screwed up, God said, it's not good for that guy to be alone. That guy has an inherent desire to be in a relationship with somebody else. I made him to be like me. He needs to have a relationship. He will not be satisfied with his life unless he has had a deep and fulfilling relationship with somebody else. And this is somebody who literally walked in the garden with God himself. And it wasn't good for him to be alone. So the monks that go off and do their own thing and are isolated and they focus on God, that's great. And there's a lot of things to admire them for. They've had a lot of contributions. But they also have missed this. That there's something that fulfills what we were meant to be by us being in relationships with other people. It's not just about us and God. And This is a divine unity. And let me point out one more thing before we go on. Jesus has gone and he's done all of this teaching. He's explained all of these fantastic truths over these last couple chapters. He's spent these three years with these men. Have you ever wondered what he wanted? What is Jesus after? Why did he do this? Because it don't make a lot of sense. Except that he tells us. Jesus reveals his own heart to the Father. Verse 24. Father, I desire. This is what I want. God, if you're going to give, if you're going to answer prayers, this is what I want. This is Jesus' wish list. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. His desire is to take the people that God has given him to... At Christmas, we talk about God with us. Jesus comes down to earth to be with us. This is a fantastic truth and absolutely essential to the gospel. Jesus comes to be with us. But God comes to be with us that he can take us to be with him. Emmanuel, God with us, meets us where he's at. He's been in the dirt. He's been in the blood and guts and gore of life on the earth. And he says, look, I love these people. Can I take him with me? No. <laughs> no, not yet. He can't. But that's what he wants. And just, just one more reminder. He's not talking about the disciples. He's praying for the people that would hear his, would believe in him because of their ministry. He's praying for us. God, I want those guys. I want Robbie. I want Hannah. I came to be with them. Can they come and be with me? So, this, so the natural question, or next question maybe, is what does Jesus get? He's, he's done all this praying. He's been talking for all of these verses, all these 26 verses. What does he get? Let me remind you that in chapter 14, 15, and 16, 
So the last three chapters, the whole bit of this series, every week, Jesus has said, if you guys pray in my name, God will do it. If you guys pray in my name, that God will do it. Not that I'm going to do it for you necessarily, but that you pray in my name and I'll do it. Here, let me, this, this is a logical question. And it's not a hard one. If we pray in Jesus' name and God does it, what happens when Jesus prays in Jesus' name? God does it, right? So here's the hard part. This is where it starts to get hard. God gave Jesus everything he asked for. This unity, this supernatural divine unity that exists between believers, it has happened. It exists. We can't see it. We still wrestle with it. But it's happened. There's a key in these verses that was really hard to track down. There's a word that happens over and over again, and it's so simple, and so the vocabulary is so comfortable to us that we didn't even think about it when we read it, but we read it over and over again. It's the word give. Over and over and over again, Jesus is saying, Father, you give. You give to me. You give to me. You give to me. Father, I give to them. I give to them. I give to them. Father, I'm going to give back to you. I'm going to give back to you. All through this chapter is sharing. This is is the principle. The, The only word I can come up with for it is mutual generosity. Father, you've given me all these gifts. You've given me three bags of dum-dums. I can't eat all these dum-dums. You've given me so much. You have been generous. Thanks. You have been generous, and now I will be generous with them. And they, seeing and understanding me and who I am, will be generous back to me and how they live. And then I can be generous back to you in giving you glory for what you did by giving me things. It's this circle of mutual generosity that we don't have an example for in the world. So let me just say, Jesus gets what he asks for. He gets glory, but he gets it in crucifixion. That's not the kind of glory we look for. He gets perseverance, which we like, but it's in unity of having to work together and and be on the same page. It's hard work. And he gets followers with him in heaven. But heaven, he's already pointed out, isn't what we like to think it is. What does he say that heaven is? We like to think of it as, you know, a place, a geographical location where we go and there's stuff going on and, you know, we get to, you know, we got knees that work and, and there's no crying and all that kind of stuff, which is, those things are true. But, but verse 3 of chapter 17 is where he, he, this is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you. 
all throughout the book of John, every time he brings up, almost every time he brings up eternal life, eternal life belongs to the people who believe in Jesus. It's belief in Jesus that is eternal life. And here he says that eternal life is knowing God. So one, he's equating himself with God. Jesus is God. But two, he's taking that, that belief that we like to think of as an intellectual assent. I agree with the truths that Jesus taught. There's tons of people who will say that they agree with the truths that Jesus taught. I believe in Jesus. He was a dude. I get it. But he's taking that belief and saying, eternal life is knowing God. And there are things that we know, and there are things that we know. This is the Old Testament biblical use of knowing. When a man knows his wife. It's intimacy. Eternal life is intimacy with God, unfettered by sin. That's why Jesus came to die, to erase the sin that is separating you from having a good relationship with God and the other people that he created you to be in relationship with. Sin doesn't just solve, the forgiveness of sin doesn't just solve our relationship with God. It is also affixed to the relationships on earth that we wrestle with so much. So why is this hard? We, Jesus over and over is using the imagery of a father and son relationship. There's a unity there that we know of. I look at my sons and we are the same family in a very real sense. There's another image in the Bible that I want to bring to your attention. And I'm I just will say that I'm nervous about it because I don't see it in the literature. I don't see other people making this connection. But I think another image of this is the marriage relationship. And if you're not married, that's cool because marriage is not the goal of life. Marriage isn't eternal. It happens here now, and it's a picture of what Jesus is explaining here. The two are unified and joy, and peace, and protection. Like, they're working together. As all the things that he's praying, an ideal marriage in a perfect world would be that. And a, and a relationship of mutual generosity. How well does it work when you say to your spouse, well, I'm not going to give you this thing you want until you give me what I want. You're, you're, you are asking for digging in the trenches. You're asking for the gunfight. What we, the model here of deep relationships is mutual generosity. I will meet your needs without asking anything in return. I will be generous towards you. But this is why it's hard. The word mutual. Because we have all experienced situations where we have been generous towards people and they have not been generous to us. They have taken advantage of us. They have hurt us. And this is the sin that exists in the world that we, we take advantage of each other. We find generous people so that we can get what they're giving without returning anything. We are not naturally, mutually generous. 
This is why we have a lot of difficulty understanding the relationship between the Father and the Son, their unity, but also this word giving that we blew over as we were reading. The Father is generous to the Son. The Son is generous to the Father. They send the Spirit as generous to us. So the question then becomes, are you generous with Jesus? We've been through a lot. This has been a really, really hard road to walk through, and I thank you guys for hanging with me. But if, I can, if we can just cut to the heart of it. Are you generous with Jesus? Because this is a guy who left the glory of being in heaven with God to come to earth to be with you. And he stayed on earth and fell deeper and deeper in love so that the only thing that he asks of God for himself is that they be with him. God, I care about these people. Can I take them? He is the groom who wants to take his bride home. (laughs) We can understand that. I came and I proposed to her, and now can we just get there? The hardest, I, we, Jesse Brown was here last week, and he, he's, he's engaged. That engagement period is hard. Can we just skip all this? Waiting? And Jesus is there saying, I just want to take them with me. Father's been generous to Jesus. You can take that or leave that. I think it's demonstrated here in this text. But you don't have to believe that. What I do think that you have to wrestle with is that Jesus has been generous to you. Because he paid the price to take you with him. He gave himself to pay for everything. So my question is, if Jesus has been generous to you, are you generous with Jesus? Where's our time? Where's our effort? Where's our energy? Where do we sit and dwell? What do we sit and dwell on? Do we dwell on our problems? Or do we hey, Jesus prays for me. And that's, we have to start there. But it really is just the starting line. Because the follow-up question is, are you generous with other people? Are people a distraction? Are they... An inconvenience? Are they a burden if they're not a tax write-off? Or are we generous with other people, with our time, with our attention, with our energy? And I can't answer for you where you're at with those two questions. Are you generous with Jesus or are you generous with other people? But I... I'm hopeful that God is speaking this morning through His Word. Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you've been helped, encouraged, and challenged by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.